Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.
We'll be right back to today's show, but before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcast, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcast for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm very excited to be back with you with another episode with my friend, Carrington Smith, who is the author of Blooming. Carrington, my friend, how are you? What is happening in your world today? I am doing great. Uh, packing for a trip. That's what I'm doing right now. Ready to take some vacation. So Nice. I love it. I need to do the same. I'm thinking about Disneyland and Tokyo, so we'll see if I can make that happen. Life, life tends to be very busy, though. So for those who do not know you, tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I, first of all, I like to refer to myself as ordinary. Um, although I do have a very unique backstory, I think from my perspective, one of the reasons it took me so long to write, to wait to write the book is because <clears throat> I just considered myself an ordinary person. And as I like to say, I'm not a celebrity, a business titan, a recovering addict, a Holocaust survivor. You think about the memoirs that you gravitate to. And it wasn't until COVID hit and we suffered this universal trauma that I realized that all the things I'd been through in life, the traumas I'd been through, prepared me much better than most people for this universal trauma. And that perhaps if I shared my story, it could really benefit others who were you know, trying to figure out their way through what we were all going through. So just to kind of give you a little backstory, uh, I come from a, the one thing that does make me different is my great-great-grandfather founded International Paper Company. And so for those of you who may not be aware, paper used to be made out of rags. And it was my great-great-grandfather that brought a patent over from Germany to make paper out of wood pulp. 
And so he founded International Paper, which is the largest paper company in the world. And from that, uh, he founded some banks. And uh, there was another, my, on the other side of the family, I had a relative who had a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. I had a brokerage house, also had a bank. So I came from a family that was just really storied in uh, really, really big money. And because of that, there were, there were a lot of expectations that came with that. And with my grandmother who lived that lifestyle, at some point the money was lost. I'm not, I don't know the story. There's a lot of speculation about what happened, but in any event, by the time you get to me, uh, there's hardly anything left. And so there was a lot of bitterness in my family. That was probably one of the biggest dominant qualities in my family was bitterness about them not getting what the generation before them had. And so in, because of that, those, those heavy expectations on performance as far as academically, socially, um, even though there wasn't the money to support those things, that, that's a big scene in my story. In any event, uh, my mother married a doctor because she wanted to maintain that social status. Unfortunately, she married a doctor who had some very debilitating personality issues, which very much handicapped his career. We had settled down outside of Baltimore and something happened. I don't really know exactly what happened, but um, we suddenly moved from Baltimore to the Seattle area. So a cross-country journey and left behind all of our family and friends on the East Coast, started afresh. And from there, my father got really involved in, he became a fundamentalist Christian and used Christianity to really sort of torture us. Uh, he would insist that we prayed. We didn't. He had a wooden rod. He would hit us with. He would twist the Bible verses to um, make us do things that he wanted us to do. So he had his own interpre interpretation of, of God's word that was different than probably anyone else have. And he really just messed with our heads. He was also pretty violent as far as like he beat our dog with a two by four until it broke in half, which is a memory that's seared in my brain and will never forget. He, he did things like he would tell me that I was not beautiful. He affirmatively told me I was not pretty. And I mean, what father does that to a daughter? And not only did he do that, he told my sister, he told me that not only was I not pretty, but my sister was beautiful. And this is something that my father's wife later learned is a malignant narcissist. It's a tool that they use to drive wedges between you and other people in your circle. So it was between me and my brother, my sister and mother. We all competed for his attention and none of us had a relationship with one another really because we were all competing for his affection and he did this very deliberately so it was a very sick family dynamic and then finally uh early on I ended up uh when I went to college I ended up getting raped my family's response to that was pretty much the worst thing ever they were my mother indicated she was ashamed of me told me never to talk about it and, you know, from there, I started getting into um, bad relationship. I married and divorced twice, had tons of debt. Um, 
you name it. I mean, <laughs> I've gone through a lot in my life, but the bottom line is this, is that at every turn, at every trauma, I always just kind of was determined that it wasn't going to define me. And this is where I think we all make these mistakes. We're saying, okay, this, this sexual assault or this childhood trauma, this isn't going to define me. And so we don't talk about it. We think that's the way to have it not define us. But what happens then is it actually comes to control us because we don't get it out. We don't deal with it. And I like to call it the monster under the bed. It actually does define you. And so for me, it took years of therapy for me to figure out that facing these traumas head on and actually, and this is the real revelatory moment, not just confronting them and dealing with them, but claiming them and realizing that is part of my story and that the very most precious gifts and treasures were in those traumas. And by claiming them and taking ownership of them, I was also claiming the gifts that were in those traumas. And that is what propelled me to greatness and happiness and purpose and where I am today. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Just want to take a moment and invite you to be my guest at Think Unbroken Conference this November. That's right. Think Unbroken is hosting our Unbroken Con for free. It's five days of trauma transformation information with myself, special guests, and even some of the leading experts in trauma education from around the world. For five days, we're going to jump into what it means to actually take the steps to be unbroken. All you have to do is register for free at unbrokencon.com. That's U-N-B-R-O-K-E-N-C-O-N.com. That's right. Five days of trauma transformation information with me, special guests, and some of the world's leading trauma trained experts for free for five days this November. More details to come, but in the meantime, go to unbrokencon.com to register and I'll see you there. Yeah, that's so incredibly powerful. And your story, my story has so many parallels, right? Growing up in a, a foundationally Mormon household with a hyper abusive stepfather, drug addict mother, going through so many of those similar experiences, being homeless as a kid, so on and so forth. Like you keep naming it, I'll keep checking off the list, yeah. right? And and I found myself much like you in, in this moment of creating sovereignty in my life that came from the willingness to effectively own my story, right? You yeah. said the monster under the bed. And I think that's so important because, and I say this all the time, child abuse is war, right? That the stuff that we go through, it impacts us, it shapes us, whether you fucking like it or not, it it creates who you are to an extent. But, but that does not have to be the definitive understanding of your truth, of your reality. You have the ability to become malleable, to change your environment, to change your world, to change your life. And eventually in owning your story, what happens is you get to that place where you, you cannot have darkness when you bring it to light. It's impossible. Yeah. yeah. What I'm what I'm curious about, because I, I think a lot of people listening will hear this and they'll say, damn, you know, you guys had some fucked up stories. There's somehow you, you know, something you're special, you're different, but I've always argued that's definitely not the case for me. What, what was it like? Let, let's go back for a second. Cause I think this is really important because people will, and I used to be this way too. I'd hear stories like this. I go, Oh, well, you know what? You just know something I don't know. But what was happening? What was the catalyst? You said, you know, you looked at your life. There must've been a moment, right? 
Where did this shift come from? Well, there were several moments. Um, I mean, the first one was when I finally did talk about being raped. And the way I did that was I was in a sort of friends with benefits relationship. I literally had zero normal relationships after I was raped. I mean, honestly, probably maybe to this day, but I've been married twice. I mean, like, I just, I so hated myself and thought that I was only worthy of sex. So there wasn't that normal dating kind of relationship. So this, this friends with benefits relationship that happened in law school, which was six years later, was the first kind of, kind of ish, normal ish relationship that I had had. And I started to have feelings for this guy and started acting weird. And he's kind of like, what is with you? And I sat down at my computer and I wrote the story of my rape. And that was the first time in six years that I told the story. And what I loved about writing it, and I think this is important for people to understand, is that a lot of times when we share our stories, people have their own filters and judgments that they immediately put on your story. And so then you feel like you have to shape shift your story, like, because they'll say what really wasn't that bad, or maybe you should have done something different. The beauty of writing it and sharing it is there was no audience there. No one passing judgment, no one telling me to share the story differently or highlight a different part. It was my truth. And when I shared it with him, he expressed empathy and kindness towards me. And this was the first time that it happened in relation to that rape until six years later. But that the way he responded to it, and this is such, I think this is more of a woman thing than a man thing. Women, we always feel like we need permission. I felt like I needed permission in a way to forgive myself. There was no forgiving myself. I didn't do anything wrong, but to maybe stop experiencing the shame so much, be more loving and kind to myself and, and, and own that part of my story. And once he was so accepting and loving towards me about that, it gave me that permission to kind of start taking the steps to healing from that. And for me, that meant a lot of therapy. So, you know, and then as far as, um, other times that were really pivotal in my life, uh, another one would be after I was divorced the second time. And that is when I had a friend who said to me, you know, you probably don't want to hear this right now, but with adversity comes opportunity. And I mean, I was on the floor of my closet <laughs> crying. And it just, those words stayed with me. And I just kept thinking about that. And I started to suddenly shift from thinking about all that I had lost and given up and what was gone to the fact that I actually had a blank slate and I could start fresh. How many times in life do you get that opportunity? It's very rare. I was like, wow, my parents are so like pissed off at me at this point. I'm now twice divorced. I can be whoever I want. I can finally step away from that mold, that image of me that they had. It was never a correct image. I can finally be who I really am. I can buy my own house. I can decorate it the way I want. I can create the life I want to lead. I can stop worrying about pleasing other people. Now I say that it took me many more years to get there as far as the worrying about pleasing other people sort of thing. But that was such a pivotal moment because when that shift happened with me, it, it also really stuck in my brain that 
anytime adversity happens, well, we have to honor that moment and grieve the loss and feel the pain and, and don't minimize that. It's so important that you deal with it head on. But if you always have that glimmer of hope that you're focused on, kind of, you know, okay, something, something, somehow is good is going to come out of this. And that is transformative. Yeah, it, it very much is. And, and I love that you said that because... I think we often get stuck in this place where you're, the darkness feels insurmountable, where life feels like you cannot possibly take one more step. You cannot try to do one more thing. Like you're at the, the lowest of the low. And, and what I think has been really interesting in my own journey is like leveraging the people in my life in a way that when they actually present something to me, I sit in it and I go, wait a second, you know, it's a forest for the trees mentality, because if you're constantly in your own shit and someone gives you a reflection and they go, wait, but have you thought about this? And if you have the willingness to sit, I think that's obviously one of the reasons why therapy is so powerful. But if you have the, the willingness to sit in the truth that sometimes other people expose to you. Now, yeah. I think there's a lot of ways to navigate whether or not that truth is in fact true, or if it's someone being biased in a certain way. And that, right. that takes a, a level of know thyself. But, but as you get deeper into this idea of the, the connections that we have, I think that you're exposed to people that are genuinely kind, empathetic, giving, unfortunately, I think for so many of us, it, it doesn't start that way. And there's this level in which, I don't know if this was true for you. And so I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question. I had to convince myself that it was true, that all people were not bad. What has been your experience, especially growing up the way that you did, which I, again, I resonate with, and so many people listening will as well. What's been the path to like being able to sit in the truth with other people to have faith in, you know, whether it be therapy or self or whatever it is that has allowed you to connect with other human beings? That's interesting because, I mean, I think a lot of therapy, but I also think one of the gifts that came from my trauma was the gift of intuition. I mean, one of the stories that I talk about is how you know, growing up the way I did with a father who's a malignant narcissist in order to survive in that kind of environment where I couldn't even trust my own family really to protect me because we were all competing with each other. I was walking on eggshells all the time. And so I had to really become hyper aware about everything that was going on around me all the time in order just to survive. And that skill that I honed, which I really refer to as my gift, is the gift of intuition, of being able to anticipate, of being more sensitized than other people about other people. And so because of that gift, it really gives me a leg up when I'm meeting other people on whether or not I can trust them. And, and I just mean in the really, really basic sense of whether I feel safe, not just safe physically, but safe mentally, spiritually. It, do I feel safe? And if I feel that sense of safety, then I'm really willing to be open and vulnerable. And actually what I do for a living now is I have an executive search business where I interview executives on a regular basis. And what I love about it is that, and I say it's kind of a shame we're not this way with our friends, but with all these executives that I interview, I get to ask them, where did you grow up? Tell me, about, tell me your life story. Tell me about a moment in life that defined you and how it changed you. 
I get to really learn what makes these people tick and what makes them special and hear their stories. And the way that I'm so successful at drawing people out is that I actually volunteer parts of my stories. I'm talking to them and that makes them trust me more and feel more open with me. So anyway, that's my answer to that. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, again, same, like growing up, I had to learn how to read people. It's probably the greatest skill that I have yeah. um, other, other than my skill of the willingness to be publicly embarrassed. So, you know, <laughs> I'll go get on stages, I'll dance, I'll sing, I don't give a shit. Right. But, but it, it really was, it, it held true and it held, holds true for so many people that we have this radar and, and it's a survival mechanism. At the it end is. of the day, that's what it is. As you were going through this journey, I think that for a lot of people, there's a reconciliation with the experiences of your past in which there's this thought about letting go or forgiveness or or just reconnecting sometimes if, if that is suiting what's happening in life. Where in your journey have you found that you've been able to reconcile with the past or, or is it something where you've just simply let go? Because I think a lot of people listening will go like, God, that, that, that your father would say such things and do such things in front of you. And then you have these experiences. Don't you have anger? Don't you carry yeah. so much vitriol? Like, like how yeah. can you be this person on this conversation laughing and having a moment of, of yeah. human connection? Well, for me, I had this epiphany where somebody had asked me what my greatest gift was. And I said, well, that's easy. It's intuition. Like, hands down, that's my superpower. And they said to me, well, where do you think you got that gift? And, you know, I reflected and I said, well, I got it because of my childhood from walking on eggshells. And in that moment, I had a realization. And that realization was that if I was thankful for the gift of intuition, I had to be thankful for the past that burst it. I could not divorce Powerful. one from the other. Exactly. And when I realized that, I suddenly had a moment of gratitude about my past. And because you ask people like, you know, would you change anything about your past? And I would not be the person I am today if I hadn't endured the things that I did. And so the answer is I wouldn't change anything. Even as hard and horrible as those things were, they made me who I am today. So when I had that moment of like, oh my gosh, I'm actually grateful that I went through what I did because it has me to where I am today. I suddenly had the ability to forgive my father. I can't explain it, but I suddenly was like, okay, I need, you know, I need to reach a place of forgiveness for this man. And for whatever reason, this was the path I, you know, ended up on. And now, let me be clear, though, forgiving is not re-engaging. For me, I think a lot of people, a lot of people think you forgive. That means you let them back in your life. Not me. I reached a place of forgiveness, but I also realized he's a very toxic person. And so in order to forgive, and I couldn't even start to heal to forgive until I terminated the relationship. I think that's another point to make. So as I like to say, when you're in a relationship with somebody toxic, every time you're involved with them, it's like they're peeling off the scab of a wound and just getting in there and reinfecting it. Yeah. The only way you can heal and reach forgiveness is to separate yourself from them so that the wound can heal. And it wasn't until I said, 
bye, dad. I can't have you in my life anymore. That my life, I, it just really started to bloom. I finally, even though I was doing all this work, if you have toxins coming in and, and, you know, kind of coming into your garden, you're not going to bloom to the fullness that you need to. You have to cut the toxins out. So once that happened is really when I started to really reach happiness and joy and purpose and fulfillment. So. Yeah, that's powerful. And you know, I actually really, I'm so, so glad that you said what you just said about the idea that you do not have to let these people back in your life. Yes. Like, like you don't. And, and that's so much about ownership and that's so much about sovereignty, right? Because it's really easy. And in this society, and this fucking pisses me off more than anything. And we live in this culture that says, well, it's your family. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and, and what's your point? And so yeah. I think that it's not about like, like for me, I think in my experience, I told my mother when I was 18 years old, I said, I'll never talk to you again. And I meant that. And until the day she died, I think I talked to her one time. And, and that is the only way I'm here today. Hey, Unbroken Nation, we'll be right back to the show. But I wanted to let you know that you can grab a copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma for free. If you go to book.thinkunbroken.com, you can download the PDF ebook version of the book and get everything that I know about the baseline of healing trauma for free downloaded to your email right now. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to download your copy of Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma for a PDF for your phone. Again, that is book.thinkunbroken.com. Yeah, it's a survival thing. It is. It is. And in that moment, I think what people really need to fucking hold on to is like forgiveness does not mean re-entry. It yeah. is not the same thing. Yeah. And and you have to be okay with that. Cause I don't know if you experienced this, but people were pissed at me. Oh, absolutely. As I like to say, short of your parent being an axe murderer or a child molester, society does not give you permission to cut your parents out. It's a very there's a lot of societal pressure. That's your dad. That's your mom. We need to have a relationship with them. And as I like to say, I that's not okay. I can't have those toxic relationships. So, so I had to give myself permission, and I had to reach a place where I was able to cut him out of my life, and and not allow him back in. So that was really important. What did that? What happened though? So I want to go into this for a second. Because I think this is really important. This might be one of the most important things we'll ever talk about on this show. What started to transpire in your life when you made that decision? Okay. So for me, there were, as I like to call them, light switch moments or light bulb moments. But a couple things happened. One in particular was um, when I was in law school, uh, my third year of law school, I was in the hospital. I had this weird something going on. I had like cups of fluid coming out of one of my ears. They strapped me onto a uh, table. They injected me in my spinal cord with contrast dye and they flipped me upside down to see if it was a spinal fluid leak. They wanted to see if the dye would come out my ear. But when they injected me with contrast dye, they hit my spinal cord. So I ended up being in the hospital for five days, getting shot up with Demerol every four hours because I was in excruciating pain. And my father being a doctor, I asked the guy that I was dating at the time, I said, would you please call my father and see if he can talk to the doctors and figure out what's going on here? 
And so he calls my father and he's like, your dad wants to talk to you. And he hands me the phone and I put it to my one good ear. And my dad says, Carrie, your mother and I have been talking and we just think it's really important for you to know that we're not paying for this. Wow. Holy shit. No, no, get well soon. No, visit me in the hospital. No, talking to the doctors. No card, no flowers. No, we're not paying for this. And in that moment, I, the, I, was, I felt complete abandonment. And so that's actually why I ended up getting married the first time. This guy who I was actually engaged to at the time, but really had no intentions to marry, took me to the justice of the peace while I still was drugged up. I remember the wood panel walls. I remember the yucky carpet. I remember nothing of getting married to him. Nothing. So it makes for a great story, but, <laughs> but the, it was the abandonment. So that was the first moment where I was like, okay, I don't need this man in my life. Now my mother ended up ending up uh, having dementia and was in assisted living. And so I maintained a relationship with him for a number of years because of that. But it, he, um, right before my mom passed the year before he came to visit me on Christmas and Chris, well, he was there Christmas day. And, um, my, with my two kids, I'd gone upstairs a very quickly shower. And while I was showering, my boys, I guess, were roughhousing. I don't really know, but um, I hear screaming and running up the stairs and slamming doors. And I get out of the shower. I'm like half showered. I'm like, what is going on? And I go and find my son. He said, Grandpa choked me. And I was like, what? And so when the you know, as those events unfolded, came to find out that he had indeed taken my son, uh, picked him up by his neck, pressed him against the wall and choked him. And I was like, look, <laughs> that was another light bulb moment for me where I was like, you got away with that with me. You don't get to fuck with my kids. It's like that mama bear came out. I was like, like, get the fuck out of here. And so I told him, you never get to see my kids ever again. But I still maintain contact because he was my father and because he was overseeing my mother's care. After my mom passed away, that's when I was like, why am I talking to this man? Every time I get off the phone with him, I engage in some sort of self-destructive behavior, whether it was you know, eating ice cream or, or picking a zit on my face. I would do something self-harming. And people started to point that out to me. And I was like, I'm done. I just decided I'm done. And so I was like, this is it. I'm done. I, I just ended it. There was no point to have him in my life anymore. And he just was causing me harm. And he was not allowed at that point to even see my children. So why even continue the relationship? Yeah. And, and I think that's one of those things where so many people are in that scenario. And even though it's difficult and even though you don't want to, and I inevitably, I, I can almost wind my watch by it when I am coaching someone a moment of passing comes where we have a conversation and I say to them does this person actually need to be in your life and and that's a really really hard conversation to have with people and it's not saying that maybe on a long enough timeline you know circumstances change people heal whatever like that person may come back but there's a period to your point where you have to step into really ownership over exactly what's happening. And, and I think one of those hard truths is recognizing that you're no longer a child. 
yeah. and that person doesn't get a say. Yeah. And that's, that's like literally fucking reprogramming yourself. Yeah. So, but what I want to go into is like, what started to happen in your life after that moment? What were the things that you noticed, how you changed, how you grew, how you healed? Because I want people to see, because for me, everything got different and I want to yeah. know what happened for you. Yeah. It, well, first of all, I mean, I actually, before that happened, I spent a year on the couch, literally with a psychologist every day, five days a week for a year on the couch, psychotherapy to deprogram me because his messaging, it was like a tape in my head where I immediately something would trigger me and I would go back there. And I was always beating up on myself, telling myself I was worthless, uh, just all this negative self-talk. And I'd already done that work, but anytime I would talk to him, it was like fingernails on a chalkboard. I just, I go right back there. So it was really recognizing the dialogue I was having with myself. And I think this is a key point I like to make with people. And that is, it's these everyday micro decisions that we make. And part of those micro decisions, the how we view something, how we view the event and the story we tell ourselves, the perspective that we choose that's determinative of our lives. And so for me, understanding that I needed to change the way I was viewing things, shift my perspective and change the internal dialogue I was having with myself. You know, that's something you'll do the rest of your life. Every day I try to get better about that. I find a new way I can talk to myself. Yeah. But it was, tra again, transformative. And, and another thing I did was I did something called healing hypnosis, which I never thought I would ever do anything with hypnosis. But basically what happens with healing hypnosis is my therapist would have me travel back to a memory and then have my present day self talk to me when that event happened. And so it's creating self-compassion and learning to view yourself lovingly which when you grow up in a toxic environment, we were never treated lovingly. So we don't know how that happens. So to finally get to a place where I'm having a loving conversation with myself saying, you were just a little girl. You were just trying to do the right thing. You didn't do anything wrong, you know, and saying, I love you to me. Um, that has been really helpful. I love that you said that. What? What role did being vulnerable with yourself play in this? I think a lot of times, and this happens um, a lot with friends, is they minimize what happens to us. And they're like, it really isn't that bad. I mean, even with my son getting choked, they're like, oh, come on, Carrie, it wasn't that bad. You're exaggerating. Are you kidding? Like, what do I have to do? Like, what has to happen? for people to let me off the hook with my father. He choked my son. But internally vulnerable, to be vulnerable, I had to be, to really see myself fully and acknowledge the pain that I had experienced. Because again, everyone else was minimizing it. I had to own it. I had to say, look, all this stuff that happened to me, it really did happen to me. And it really was incredibly harmful. But facing it and again owning it and you know acknowledging it and saying look this was shitty this really sucked 
but what can we learn from this? What can we take away from this? Where are the gifts in this? Because I like to say, and I, you know, the tagline to my book is, you know, blooming, finding gifts in the shit of life because shit is quite literally fertilizer. And it's in the messes, failures, traumas of life that we find what we need to bloom into our greatness. So, but in order to, to harvest those gifts, you have to be vulnerable with yourself and acknowledge your traumas, failures, hardship, and own them. Yeah, you do. And I, and I think that the vulnerability in that is giving yourself permission to not downgrade the reality, right? And because I had the same experience where so often I'd be like, it wasn't that bad. You know, right. the, the listeners of this show know when I was, I was four years old, my mother cut off my right index finger. And so I carried that and I would look down and I'd be like, oh, it's not, it's fine. Right. And then one day I was like, actually, no, this is really fucking awful thing that happened. Like this is really bad. But the vulnerability of the willingness to step into that, what it does is it allows you the space to step into truth. Yeah. And I, I think the the biggest thing about what happens in these traumatic experiences is we're stripped of truth because we automatically, for most of us, we'll become dissociated, we'll remove ourselves from it. Well, yes. it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But but when you go and you look in the mirror and you're like, that thing happened, that's actually the turning point. Like that's the moment you start to take your power back. Yes. I want, I want to tap into something here that you said that I think is really important that I think often in passing, it's looked over, but you talked about this ability to start to love yourself and say, I love you and say, it's not your fault, right? In the beginning for me, and I'll speak for myself, it was so fucking uncomfortable to be able to do that, that it was like for years, I just struggled. I'd go look in the mirror and say it and say it and say it. What advice would you give to anyone who's like listening to this and they're struggling? They they don't necessarily love themselves. They're still in that place of just so dissociated and so voidant of this. Like, what would you tell them? Like, how do you start? Yeah, I guess for me, uh, probably being a mom has helped because, and I know that doesn't apply to everybody, but when you're a mom, I mean, I'm trying to to be kind and sweet to my kids and compassionate and loving. And the dialogue I was having with them was very different than the dialogue I was having with myself. That's and so important. So many yeah. people need to hear that. Yeah. And so this whole idea of the healing hypnosis where I would travel back as my adult self to my former self in that moment, suddenly you know, it's the mom voice saying, no, no, no. You know, what you did, there was nothing wrong with what you did. You were such a beautiful little girl. You were just trying to you know, help your dad or try hard or, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. And, and so I think that, that being a mom now has helped me because I'm coming at it more from, well, it's the adult me speaking compassionately to the younger me. And you're right. And particularly with narcissism on the rise and such a focus on it, people feel like saying, you know, I love you to yourself. There's something wrong with that. But the truth of the matter is actually narcissists hate themselves. And while they may, yes, they hate, they, yeah. And while they may go around grunting, like they're the biggest, baddest thing and desperate for that recognition, if they actually love themselves, they wouldn't need it. And so for, for those of us who want to avoid being like that, we actually need to engage in that conversation with ourselves because the more we love ourselves, the less we need the affirmation of others. Yeah. 
and, and there's freedom in that. And one yes. of the things that, that happened for me was this sense of radical ownership yes. where I, what I think very highly of myself. I do because for the first 27 years of my life, I thought I was a fucking piece of shit because of the programming to yeah. your point in the same way that your parents did you. And, and I think that that programming, the only way it changes is you, you have to affirm what you believe yes. in a positive narrative, like yes. through self-love, through compassion, through empathy, yeah. through grace, yeah. because uh, the, the turning point in this journey was like, oh my God, this is so difficult every fucking day. Yeah. Right? It's so hard every day. And there were days where I like, I was just like, what's the fucking point of this? Like, why bother? Why, yeah. why even like literally why live? Yeah, and, I get it. And, and, and what I started to understand about myself probably more so than anything was this really strong ability to be compassionate with myself. What do you think? Because I, I I went through the book and it was powerful and there was a, so many different takeaways that I had, but I feel like I'm going to be biased if I say what I think, but instead I'm going to ask you because I think it's more important. What do you think is the number one thing that you left in that book that will help people? I think it's what I just kind of mentioned before, and that's about mindset. And as I like to say, mindset is a muscle. And if we take from our, you know, negative experiences and find the gifts in the shit and shift our perspective and make it a habit of shifting our perspective and looking for opportunity in the adversity, that is probably the most powerful thing that we can do. And it's this daily choosing how we're going to view something that happens to us, whether it's good or bad. And an example I like to give is like, say you get a flat tire. And so a lot of people would be like, my whole day's gone to shit. Everything's gone wrong. You know, my schedule, you know, they, they just blow a gasket, right? Well, what if you take a pause and go, okay, this sucks. Always acknowledge the suck. Don't pretend it's not bad. This sucks. Okay. But suddenly I'm going to be sitting here on the side of the road for an hour or two. I have a found hour or two that I didn't have before. I can call that friend I've been meaning to call. I can listen to that audiobook that I've been meaning to listen listen to. Uh, I get to reorganize my day. And now suddenly some things had to be canceled that have opened up space to you know, create time for something else. But it's how you choose to view the event itself that determines the outcome of your life. So all of these things that happen in life, if you choose to view it as my whole life's going to shit, everything sucks, you know, I can't get a break, as opposed to, wow, what can I learn and take from this? When you view it from the, wow, what can I learn and take from this? You stop being a victim and you start owning your power and saying, okay, like, so when COVID hit, I was like, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. This is a once in a generation moment where suddenly, like with the Great Depression, half the Fortune 500 companies were founded suddenly with this pandemic. This is one of those moments in time, one of those rare moments in time where there's going to be a lot of innovation and change. And as opposed to, you know, wanting to hide under, you know, blanket or something, I was like, wow, what do I get out of this? How do I use this opportunity? And it's totally the, the frame of mind that I approached it with. And that's that mindset is a muscle. It's retraining your brain to look at things differently. 
And that really is probably the most important thing that I, you know, one of, there's so many lessons in the book. That's kind of the through line, I think. But I'd love to hear what you think it is. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, no, that's what I was going to point to as well, because there there is this shift that you must make in the way that you're making meaning of your environment. Yeah. Because it's really easy to be, especially in this fucking society, it's really easy to be, woe is me, life is against me, recession, gas prices, like whatever. It's like, yeah, but you know what? You live in the greatest time in history to yeah. be alive. Yeah. And and I think when people are willing to sit in that and I know that's a difficult truth and I know that's a hard thing for people to want to sit in and you know I I've been on all sides of the spectrum financially in my life from homeless and getting cars repoed to you know going and being an incredible masterminds but everything in between like I've always kind of just tried to look at life especially recently is just making meaning of it for what it truly is and yeah. not being so dampened by by society because everybody here's the thing about the media that I want people to remember everyone knows that the media is meant to make you sad like that yeah. just is the nature of it so yeah Instead, think about the positive things in your life. And not every day. Look, some days suck. Like, that's life. Sorry. Hate to break it to you, right? But there's always something that you can look into and look for in those moments of pain, of hurt, of suffering, and recognize that there's a strength that comes out of the backside of it, right? Yeah. And so I, I totally agree with you. And that, that was the same takeaway that I had. Um, before I ask you my last question, my friend, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah. So... My personal website is Carrington with a C hyphen smith.com. And if you go to Carrington hyphen smith.com, you can download the first chapter of the book for free. And again, the book is Bloomy Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life by Carrington Smith. And that's available on Amazon.com. And it's also available on Audible. I actually read the book myself so you can hear me talking about my life story. And then, of course, on all the social media, Instagram and whatnot, it's at Carrington ATX, standing for Austin, Texas. Um, so you can find me Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those different places. Brilliant. And of course, we'll put all the links in the show notes for the listeners. My last question for you, my friend, what does it mean to you to be unbroken? It means to me that as opposed to hiding everything that I was ashamed of, claiming it and making it part of my story and finding the gifts and the shit, that is being unbroken. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. We'll be right back to the show, my friend, but I wanted to let you know about our brand new podcast community for Think Unbroken Podcast. I know that for so many trauma survivors like myself, for the longest time, I felt alone, like nobody got it, nobody understood, and that I was just going to have to figure this out on my own. But that's not true. And the reason why we created our brand new Think Unbroken Academy podcast community is so that we can bring all the members of the Unbroken Nation together in a place where we can 
learn, grow, heal, change, and transform our trauma into triumph. I would love to have you come and be a part of the brand new community. Just check out thinkunbrokenacademy.com or click the link in the podcast description. And I cannot wait to see you there, my friend. Again, just head over to thinkunbrokenacademy.com. And until then, be unbroken. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review, and you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. 
And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.